Welcome to the Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma podcast, where we engage and empower educators and other community leaders to view interactions with students through a trauma-informed and resilience-focused lens. This podcast will focus on providing tools and strategies that will prepare you to realize the widespread impact of trauma, to recognize signs and symptoms of trauma and toxic stress in students, to respond by fully integrating knowledge about trauma-informed and resilience-focused practices, and to seek to actively resist re-traumatization by healing first and educating always. Let's get into the conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Teaching Through the Eyes of Trauma with me, Dr. Smith. Today, our topic is retaining teachers of color and our guest is Patrick Powers. Our essential question is what are some benefits, barriers, and ways to retain teachers of color? This episode seeks to understand the value of teachers of color and find ways to recruit and retain more of these individuals. So again, our our guest speaker is Patrick Powers. He is the founder and CEO of The Lost Generation and a middle school English teacher. Welcome, Mr. Powers. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, thanks for, for coming. I want to start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and about your um, nonprofit, The Lost Generation, and then also tell us what made you get into teaching. Great. So um, I've been teaching for uh, six years now. Um, I'm from Waco, Texas, in which case I became involved in communities and schools, so that's AmeriCorps, um, right after I graduated high school. And so uh, right off the bat, I was able to receive the opportunity to be a mentor and a tutor for students in my local area there. And I did so for elementary students. I did so for middle school students. And uh, finally, before I uh, ended up uh, transitioning, transferring into UNT's campus and didn't, um, I was a mentor for high school seniors. So, <laughs> yes, Zemean Green. Um, and so, I had no idea you went to UNT. I went to UNT also. Yes, yes. I graduated okay. in 2017. So, uh, one of the best decisions that I made for sure was my college choice. Um, but it stemmed from, in terms of my teaching journey, it stemmed of an, from an experience that occurred to me um, when I was 17 back in Waco. This is my senior year of high school here. And, you know, it's getting close to graduation in a sense. Um, it's November of, of my senior year and I'm getting those questions right about what's next, you know, mm -hmm. what career path are you going to embark in, you know, and many teachers and parents and alike always tell um, our young people, you know, we'll try to pick something that, that, that you're good at. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, well, I'm kind of good at a few different things. So that kind of doesn't make it really that, that easy for me to, to decide to decipher for them. Um, but this experience literally changed my life and, uh, it propelled me into the pathway, um, that I'm on now. I was at the, the, the fair in Waco, just the heart of Texas, small fair there. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I was there, I came across, um, a cousin of mine who I hadn't seen in, in years, he had been in the, in the air force. So he had just came back from the military, you know, he was in town. I ran into him, we were speaking. And so while him and I were engaged in that conversation, um, for no apparent reason, someone came from behind me and hit me, punched me right in the face. Um, this was a devastating blow, both literally and, you know, <laughs> metaphorically. Um, and I remember having the blood on my shirt coming down on my shoes, et cetera, as, as my lip was actually split open from, from, from that hit. 
And when I turned around, the police were rushing in to to detain the person uh, before anything else escalated or occurred. And so um, I remember me calling my mom uh, to pick me up and she was already crying frantically because one of her hair customers had saw me and called her and said, hey, I just saw your son. I don't know what happened, but it like he was in bad shape, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. She gets to the fair and she rushes me to the, to the nearest hospital. Um, and almost immediately they started performing stitches on my lip to, to, to patch it back up. And for whatever reason, you know, um, I was on my phone at the time as I was getting my stitches. So I had my left hand was holding my mom's hand. Uh, my right hand was, I had the phone in my hand and the doctors were okay with it. They were like, well, he's distracted if he's on his phone. So yeah, that's fine. And we can just operate and, you know, do what we got. But while I was on my phone receiving those stitches um, from that hit, I was looking through messages and I was seeing people who were concerned about my well-being and wanted to understand what happened, et cetera. And then as I, as I continued to receive messages, uh, both on my phone and both through social media, there were people who were trying to seek revenge on my behalf very, very quickly. Mm. And I didn't expect that to be the occurrence because it was people who I necessarily wasn't really close to and didn't necessarily have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. um, but Waco is a very small town and um, it's a very defensive town too. People come to uh, each other's you know, defense in, in times of need. Um, and so very quickly I had to make this decision upon whether or not I would allow those individuals to seek revenge on my behalf mm. or if I would just continue, uh, you know, and on a path of, of, uh, of nonviolence and, you know, put a, put a close to this chapter. Mm. And so, um, I remember thinking about it and <laughs> I, I remember looking at my mom and seeing her with her head down and her feet was tapping, you know, she was more nerved up and upset than I was. Um, and I made the decision, you know, really right then and there that uh, an act of violence would be unwarranted or necessary. Um, and I thought about all of the, the consequences and repercussions that could be formed against myself and against those who were trying to intervene for me. Because mm -hmm. uh, they, they knew very quickly who the person was that hit me, where he stayed. They knew about his family life, where he worked. So th they were ready and willing to do, you know, any type of violent measure. Wow. And so um i remember responding to them personally and telling them you know i just want to focus on the goals that i have for myself um, i'm going to focus on the career path that i have set forth um mm -hmm. continue making decisions you know within the morals and values that i've have ingrained in me within me that have come from my parents and my, my upbringing um and and so i, I rejectedly obviously declined and it could have been easy to turn a blind eye you know, it could have been easily to just not respond back and say, well, I'm going to just see what happens. I'm going to just let this play out. Um, but after I responded to those individuals, I then went on to social media and made a status um, saying that I was okay, you know, and that right. I wanted to be the end of things. And I actually uh, ended that status on Facebook uh, with a, a quote from MLK, uh, the quote that says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. You know, only love can do that. Hate cannot yes. drive you know, so, um, and, and so I was, I was content that a stand had been made and that my wishes would be respected. Well, mm -hmm. that was the case. <laughs> I, <laughs> I go on Monday, 
there's a lot of questions around me, you know, and my graduating class was just 150 kids, you know, so I'm not in the big school at all. Uh, so teachers were asking me questions. Uh, students were asking me questions. I was still getting messages on social media. And behind the scenes, I was still hearing about plans to uh, to seek retaliation. Um, mm-hmm. People who I, who I were friends with, they were in gangs. Um, and so their gangs were trying to, you know, associate plans, you know, on my behalf as well. Oh, wow. Because, you know, in that small in that small area, it had one high school, one middle school, you know, one elementary. So we all grew up with each other, you know. Um, so other people chose different paths and in high school, you know, we were still always close because we had been knowing each other since we were kids, you know, whatnot. So when I began to hear about these things, I said, okay, well, what else can I do um to prevent any act of violence from occurring? And so I actually led a small non-violence movement on my campus. Um, we made posters and whatnot, uh, speaking about um the the way to pursue justice, speaking mm. about um education and, and how goals, uh, forming goals can keep you on, on your track of life. And as I wore a band-aid on my lip, in which case my doctors told me I shouldn't talk or be smiling at the time for um it, it would cause my lip not to heal properly. Um obviously I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I went from classroom to classroom giving speeches on uh, this very particular matter in terms of the incident and in terms of the importance of making good decisions wow. and so um, other students and staff wore a band-aid as well uh, to support my efforts and the wow. uh, the act was acknowledged by my transgressor the person who, who had harmed me at the fair um, through a, a second-hand person uh, who just you know said that he respected it blah blah so i'm like cool it's settled it's done no retaliation. I'm moving forward. He's moving forward. Everything's good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I remember my mom calling me a few months later, and she asked me, "Was I, was I at home?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Is anybody around you?" I was like, "No." And she said, "Well, remember the dude that hit you at the fair?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, he just got arrested for murdering two boys in Waco. Him and his brother had did a drive-by shooting." They killed a 17-year-old male and a 20-year-old male in the state in, in the city of Waco, Texas. Uh, the 20-year-old had just had a newborn child. Um, oh. I became to to be more knowledgeable about this incident. Um, I was informed that these that this act of violence was due to retaliation. Um, he thought that someone in that car had had harmed one of his family members years prior, and it turns out it wasn't even the right guy. So literally two individuals lost their lives for, for no reason. Uh, and two more individuals are behind bars as we speak um, for committing this crime. And so mm. very quickly, I just thought about why or why not I made the decisions that I did um, and how my uh, morals and values, how my education, how my environment, how my friends, how my family, how all of those things played a decision um, and influencing my decision making. But I also wanted other individuals, should they be faced with the decision that I made or, or I had or the same decision that he had mm-hmm. to make the decision, you know, more favorably um, of nonviolence. And so that's what inspired me to become a mentor and tutor. Um, and then over that time, uh, with the with the connections I made with the students, with the success I was able to have, um, I made the decision probably after my second year uh, before moving to UNT that I wanted to become a teacher uh, to continue doing 
that mentorship and being an example for uh, black male students and uh, black students as well in the classroom. So that's what propelled me on, on, on the track I'm on. And um, I, I've had a spirit of, of, of justice and a spirit of empathy uh, for students and, and mentorship and leadership uh, ever since then. Wow. What an awesome story. And that is why we need more teachers of, of color, especially male teachers um, like yourself, just because of the things that you said you put into place to make sure that this lost generation, you know, has a different track or has a different uh, avenue to go to if, they, if they're faced with things like this. And yeah. so, of course, as you know, America's K-12 teaching force today remains pre predominantly white, right, in contrast to its rapidly diversifying student body. So the stats that I discussed last week uh, with my co-host, because last week we talked about the trauma of the black male educator. And so the stats that I, I um, discussed with him was that fewer than 7% of teachers are black and just 2% are black men with teacher turnover rates, especially high for the black men. So now in your testimony, um, because for the listeners, I met Mr. Powers um, because this past week we were testifying in front of Texas legislation in a joint session for the House of Public Education and the um, House of Higher Education. And so I met him there and I was I was grateful that I was able to serve beside him to, to testify just on, you know, teacher retention and the teacher shortage that we are experiencing right now. And so in your testimony, you referred to yourself as the two percent. Right. So tell us about your experience as a two percenter in the education system. Great question. Um you know, each campus has a different feel to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been able to work full time at different campuses and then visit different campuses as it pertains to um, other works of educational research. And the the goal for principals, I think what it should be, um, should always be to create a diverse uh, teaching uh, system within the that school campus, um, obviously spearheaded by uh, black male educators and black women educators, of course, because the value that those individuals have just in presence alone is so important for our students, just in being, being able to connect with those students. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, teachers are counselors, teachers yeah. are our mentors, they are friends, they are father figures. And our students who come from different diverse backgrounds need to be represented and they need to be um, shown that they have a voice and they, they are inclusive in that classroom environment. And so when I think about the students I've had the pleasure of, of teaching over my, my five, six year span of education, many of my students didn't necessarily come from Texas. They had moved in um, because I, I've been at a part a really big powerhouse in football. And so a lot of my students were, were moving in, you know, eighth grade year, getting accustomed to Texas because they wanted to go to mm -hmm. Denver Island High School to play football. And the motivation is always different, you know? And so you mm -hmm. have to figure out what is it that sparks an interest uh, with those students. You have to make them feel uh, welcome. You have to make them feel safe. You have to make sure that their ideas feel heard. And it really is the job of a teacher to maximize upon the strengths that the students already have. Um, and you have to see that within each student. And I think that black male educators and, and black educators alike do a great job of understanding um, how, to, how to decipher and how to use their teaching strategies 
to create that inclusive environment and to create opportunities for our black and brown students to best showcase their best selves. And so obviously black male educators are, are known predominantly for either being coaches or mm -hmm. being uh, disciplinarians on the school campus. But there are so much more uh, things that are being done by African-American male teachers on, on a daily basis, uh, which showcases the, the usefulness of their impact on campus. Now, Absolutely. when it comes to teacher recruitment, I think more principals should be going to different schools, mm -hmm. uh, going to different colleges to try to recruit um, those students. Um, because a principal can say, well, you know, I can only hire, you know, the, the applications that I receive, but our principals and our school leaders have to figure out, well, what am I doing to attract and retain more teachers of color? You know, yeah. not just getting there, but once they are there, how does our campus culture reflect upon our teachers of colors uh, to make them feel welcome and, and valued and appreciated throughout the whole year? Not just for teaching, mm -hmm. appreciate, not just for Black History Month, yeah. but, throughout, but throughout the whole year. Um, and, and it's the principal's job once they go out and recruit these teachers and have them on their campus to value their input mm -hmm. of how that uh, looks like for their teachers and staff and for their students. Um, and to put them in positions to best use their influence um, amongst the students that they courageously serve. So um, it's a it's a it's an important need in our society, and it really does makes a difference. You, when you walk in in a school campus, when you walk inside the office, you can tell how that school is being ran, um, and that's from leadership um, with the administrators, and that's the mm -hmm. leadership that's shown uh, from the teachers on that campus. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. So do you feel, I know that there's 2% of teachers. Do you feel like that's enough? Do you feel like that is adequate black male representation um, in schools? Not at all. More than anything, it's a large disparity uh, between the demographics of our students. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I have a classroom of 25 kids and five of my students are African-Americans and I have seven students that are uh five of my students are African-American males and I have seven students that are African-American women. Um, and then I have a diverse mix of, of white and Hispanic for the rest. That's a very diverse classroom, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it means that a certain demographic or demographics is not being represented, is not being showcased, is not being heard in a sense. Mm -hmm. And when I get to my students, because I teach English, they're like, oh, well, what we're learning and how we're doing is really different. And it's like, well, yes, because I'm I'm knowledgeable of who's in my classroom, how you learn, and and mm -hmm. the things you're interested in right now. You know, I'm not teaching you lesson plans that have come from 15 years ago, and I'm hoping that they work on you. You know, mm -hmm. with the times I'm incorporating what, what you want to learn. So, I know that um, organizations like uh, Black Educator Development is uh, working to assist in the uh, numbers of black male educators. Um, but man, I, I would love to see that. And I know progress is a gradual thing, but I would love to see that uh, mm -hmm. more than double to a good 5% as a start. Um, and then we can go from there and, and then figure out, you know, how to best serve our students through the influence of our black male educators. Um, you know, not every black male educator has to be, you know, obviously an administrator, but they can still serve on a campus leadership team. That's a form of administration to have that influence so that all of those students at that campus um, are impacted by those teachers. 
you don't have to have a teacher in class to be impacted by him, right? Sure. Teacher can be on campus. He can be seeing you. He can be speaking to you every day. Um, he can be wearing uh, suits or attire that reflect what a black man should look like and how they should sound like and how they should represent themselves. So, um, you know, there's an extension beyond the classroom that, that can be done, uh, whether that be a, even a leadership club before school, after school, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's important that we not only attract and retain more black male teachers, but that we are putting them in positions to best influence those around them. I love that. So I want to read an excerpt from an article um, by Faven Hapti, and it said it's called entitled I'm Tired Living with the Invisible Tax of Being a Black Educator. Uh, Being a black educator is not the same as being a teacher. It's never the same. The job is different, harder and more consuming than anyone, including white teachers, can ever understand. When I build relationships with students, especially those who display challenging behaviors, The takeaway for my colleagues is it's a blessing that they have someone, someone like you. Somehow the system and my white colleagues miss the piece of me that leaves with each student, and I don't tell them about it either. Every time a student reaches out for support and shares their trauma, there's an overarching gratefulness for how they were able to process it in a safe space. No one considers the secondary trauma it burns into my spirit or the personal demons it could awaken. There isn't care for how their stories of oppression and abuse bring mine to the surface. Rarely is there mention of how their pain, anger, and desperation enhances my own, not by my white colleagues nor my school's administration. They don't see my teacherhood when they declare it's a calling without mentioning the suffering. Describe it as the ultimate civil service with no mention of the burden. Touted as an act of love, separated from the immense loss. I'm tired and invisible. So does, do any of his words or his feelings resonate with you? Yes, because I feel that there's so much work a black male educator has to extend on a daily basis. And, and that is very tiring. Um, mm-hmm. And even the scrutiny behind their work um, that can come from different colleagues that are not of color and, and that can come from of parents um, that are not of color um, in terms of how you're, how you run your classroom, uh, yeah. what you're being emphasized in the classroom. Um, because I, I talked to a parent a few days ago <laughs> who, uh, who was not black or Hispanic. And, and she said, I really do like how you're incorporating uh, black lives matter into your classroom. And I hadn't <laughs> been doing it. So <laughs> that actually was not the case. Um, so, uh, never once have I even mentioned that phrase or talked about, you know, in a sense that that campaign. Um, I have talked about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, mm-hmm. And as it pertains to a speech that he did, in which case he spoke to a middle school audience um, and was speaking to them about making good decisions and how they should cherish and value uh, their lives at the current time and be building uh, good habits currently. Uh, but you can't go in my curriculum and see, you know, where Black Lives Matter is is necessarily mm-hmm. inserted in, in that, you know. Um, now, maybe through culture, you know, <laughs> uh, she assumed that was the case. Uh, but it, it's small things like that. It's like, well, I don't want you to miss the overall purpose of what the students have learned and classified as just right. one thing. Um, right. One thing that you might be misinformed about, you know, because that's, for whatever reason, a topic that some people just don't understand. And so um, it's it's a it's a job because 
not only do you want to exercise your best self, but the staff around you is also wanting you to do so as well. And sometimes you're doing extra things that other teachers aren't doing. Sometimes you're the one that's doing after school du duty or before school du duty or lunch duty because you either know majority of the students or they respect you, you know, or, or they are less likely to do things of trouble in front of you, et cetera. Um, and so there's different hats that you play. And, mm -hmm. and that's with classroom management, that's with school environment, um, that's with school events that are taking place. Um, mm -hmm. That's with district-wide events taking place. Um, and so a lot of times you are that person, that sole person in your department, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a very diverse staff on campus, but obviously, I say obviously, but I'm the only black male educator that teaches English throughout the whole grade level, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, and that's been mm -hmm. consistent even in my, my prior school. And so that's a job I carry within myself to ensure that our students of color being represented in the curriculum when we're meeting, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, and we're trying to figure out what this looks like, how to best connect with our students, you know. Um, I, I teach them what they should know, um, but it's up to me about how I teach that, you know, and what that looks right. like. And so um, it's a very tiring job and there's not a lot of people that look like you on that campus. You know, you're probably not mm -hmm. being represented in the administrative administration role either um, in terms of administrators that look like you. So it's um, it's a job that, that I say you almost got to be perfect to do, you know, um, because if, you, if, if you're tough. not, it is because if you're not, it'll be spoken about in the teacher's lounge, teachers who, you know, secretly don't really have a, a great uh respect for you because maybe the students just are more drawn to you and more influential you know whatever case may be um so it, it is it can be a lonely path um mm -hmm. and you really have to ground yourself in your why why you're there and you're there for the students and you're doing the best things uh, for those students to be successful in the long term that's good so do you feel a cultural responsibility to be that you know what i'm saying to be the black male presence on your campus Yes, I, I do. And I guess because I've done different things and um, I've worked with different schools and I, I've created my own organization, uh, mm -hmm. they, expect, they expect more of me as well, you know. Um, so how my students are performing should be higher than, than, than most teachers. Um, how my students are behaving should be higher than most teachers. How my students walk to the cafeteria, to the library should be quieter than most students, mm -hmm. right? And so there's always an expectation above um, that I feel like I have to reach and that's expected of me. Now, just the way I was raised, I'm kind of used to that pressure. I hate, hate to use that word, but I'm kind of used to that ex those expectations. Um, mm -hmm. Just because I'm used to something doesn't mean it's fair to me, right? Um, right. Just, you know, doesn't mean that that's the the walk of of a, of a pathway that, that I should be taking, that I should have to endure every day when I come to a school campus. And so um, there are many sacrifices that are made um because you're always thinking about the, the kids and not yourself um mm -hmm. and they say don't take it home but you know you can't help it <laughs> you can't help but going home and thinking about you said, like, your trauma you take home all of the things yeah. that you're that are put on you throughout the day and i was talking right. because of course this is just a follow-up um episode from last week when we talked about the trauma of the black male educator and we were talking about how 
um, were called upon a lot more for disciplinary issues, you know? And so there was a time when I was in the classroom where I had to tell my students, if you're going to be in my classroom, you need to know how to behave and how to keep it moving if I'm called out of the room. Because you have a right. teacher who's called upon a lot to handle discipline issues that are not in my classroom necessarily. And so my students had had the understanding if she gets the phone call, if they hit the black button and say, you know, Miss Smith, we need you in a first grade classroom, that whatever we're doing, whatever we're engaged in has to continue on in my absence. And so they became, you know, the runners of the classroom. And then I thought for a minute, it's not fair to them. You know, we're engaged in a lesson. And I want to be present for this lesson. And I want to be present for, you know, when they're they're learning the things and they're putting doing the hands-on things. But because I'm the black male educator on camp, now mind you, we have multiple uh, black educators at the time. But if you're one that's called upon all the time for, for discipline for other classrooms, then the expectation is that you handle it, not necessarily an expectation on the teacher of record for that classroom. And that became a lot for me, you know. I love doing it at first because it was like, oh, you know, they know I handle discipline well. But then it became extremely tiring. And it's like, at what point do I say, like, these people need to learn how to manage their own classrooms? Because I can't manage mine and, my, uh, and theirs as well. But I just think that that's the expectation that's put upon us. Because we're, we're deemed as those um, teachers, you know, as those black, you know, black educators um, who are discipline gurus. Right. It is unfair. And, and that's been something that's been bestowed of me as trans responsibility when I have been a coach, and when I haven't been a coach. And so when I was gone for the trip in Austin, <laughs> as soon as I came back, it was some students saying, hey, um, there was some teachers that came into your room because they needed you to talk to a student or to do this or whatever, you know. And so it makes your absence even that much more even, you know, more impactful, you know, which is why I hate to. I hate to be away because I'm like, okay, I'm not worried about my students, but it's about the students of other teachers who may need me or who were looking for me that day, et cetera, in which case I can, I could have influenced, I could have helped, et cetera. So it's always something, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I definitely understand you when you say that the classroom management has to be also spearheaded by the students because you're doing so many different things and so many areas need you as well for guidance. So I'm going to read some statistics about what happens when students when there's not enough African-American representation. And so we've all seen the literature from researchers at Harvard and Princeton universities that states, when black boys grow up in the presence of father figures, they tend to far better in school and in life. Yet over 70% of black children grow up in single mother homes with 77% of the teaching force being female and 80% of our nation's teachers predominantly white. And so where does this leave our black boys? underrepresented, misunderstood, and underprepared. And so with the lack of presence from African-American teachers, do you agree that that leaves them underrepresented and underprepared? Most definitely. Um, especially with the world that we live in, it's such a, a diverse world that they're going into. There's a diverse workforce. Um, there's mm -hmm. diversity in colleges. And so it's important that, that for that diversity to be represented, you know, in, in the schools that, that they're growing up in because it is obviously a system of things. And it's right. important that the long-term system that they're gonna be in, in terms of adults, is reflected upon the system that they're in as, as students. And so mm -hmm. it does keep them uh, wondering, you know, where to go and who who's my person, you know, who's, who's the person on campus that I feel safe to talk to 
if I'm dealing mm -hmm. with something at home, um, whether that's my teacher or not, you know, um, it's important for that person to be identified by those students at, at an early time period. Right. Um, something that I always ask my students the first day is, and I'm sure this came from a book, in which case I, I don't have the name for it, uh, but I always ask them on a note court to write down something that they want for me and only me to know. And then um, I always ask them, how can I best help them, you know, be successful in my classroom and just throughout the whole school campus, you know, and those are responses that are that are really informative. I, I send that same template home to parents and parents give me feedback as well. And so um, it's a collaborative effort, but it takes care and it takes understanding and it takes influence and it takes trust above anything else uh between the parents and between the students that you have uh that child's best interest at heart and that you're um, willing to advocate for that child uh both when it's popular and when it's unpopular you know when they've done something wrong and there's a meeting going on with teachers about how to you know uh best help that student and you're the one person that's saying you know what we need to give him another chance you know they were having right. a bad day that, that day they made a mistake but that's, that's not just throw away the progress the student has made or how can we uh showcase um that this student has progressed you know what awards can we uh give the students or rewards can we give the students to uh bring about those possible reinforcements uh mm -hmm. possible reinforcements when, when something is being done right and so um our world is so easy to to criticize people when they do things wrong so it's important that when students are doing things right, small things, mm -hmm. getting the class on time, turning in work on time, whatever the case may be, um, helping you controlling the class because my students hate for me to repeat myself twice. So if I say something once, I have people in the classroom I'm like, all right, now y'all heard it the first time, you just said be quiet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and um, it takes um, repetition. It takes you constantly being that person uh, right. for us to be built and for, uh, that classroom environment to, to to spill over and for it for it to become you know infectious um amongst each student right and that's that's a, a part of the benefits right of having an african-american teacher you get these to build these relationships you have these um relationships where it kind of mitigates frustration and isolation um and fatigue that students can feel being in a in a school where there's not a lot of representation for them right and then i read one time where the benefit of having at least one African-American teaching by third grade, then you're 13% more likely to go to college. And then if you have two, then you're 32% more likely to go to college. And I'm thinking, why is that? You know, why is it that there's, there's a percentage of higher, um, a higher percentage of students going to college because of having um, an African-American or, or a teacher that represents them. And I'm thinking it's strictly because of the life that we live in front of the students, right? We live this life of of pride in college and pride in you know what we majored in and just um, and I didn't go to an HBCU but just the pride of the things that HBCUs bring to to students and I think you know pledging when I was in in school all of my students wanted to pledge Delta simply because they saw me a Delta and I, I'm always talking about Delta Sigma Theta I'm always representing in the classroom and so they see a culture of college, a college going culture right. And I can only attribute that to when they see, you know, black educators, we're preaching like there is a way for you to, to make it going to college is a way, you know, there's alternatives, technical schools, but just showing them that there's a way to, to a better future than just what they see, you know, in the communities that they're in. 
Right, right. And all those things that you mentioned really do <clears throat> provide a domino effect, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they have a teacher of color in the classroom and that teacher of color is exhibiting uh, factors, it is exhibiting uh, being successful in college and having goals that they've accomplished, then students of color create expectations for themselves yes. uh, based upon what their teacher has accomplished and, and who their teacher is, you know, because mm-hmm. at times at home, that's not being, those things are not being talked about, or they may not have a role model right. somewhere they can say they went to college or they had a dream and, and they accomplished that goal or whatever case may be. And then as a result from that, it interprets to a stronger engagement, right? Mm-hmm. Teachers of color are really good at having strong engagement in their classrooms, regardless of the content and curriculum that their school is or is not providing. Um, because they add their own twist into it, they make it interactive, they add songs mm-hmm. and music, um, they add creativity um, with different ways for students to showcase their understanding of their knowledge. And then as a result of that, that turns to deeper engagement for students, right? Yes. And so if I have a role model and if I have strong instruction and if my if I'm deeply engaged in what's being taught in the classroom, now I care about school and I understand its importance and I understand how it can work for me to be successful. I see it's a tool for me to obtain things that I want um, in life as an adult. Um, not as a hurdle. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the main thing is that it changed the mindsets of students, right? To see school as a tool to be successful and not, not a hurdle. Okay. And when I say hurdle, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, it's something I have to do. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. My mom's making me do it. My dad's making me do it. Yes. That's a hurdle, right? But right. Tool is, oh, this is something that I should know that I should be a part of because this means uh, long-term success uh, should I feel like college is right for me? And should I feel like the job that I want to work requires, you know, a college degree um, for me to be successful in that avenue? So um, it's imperative that those role models are, are set and forth. And it's even more important when you're a teacher of color and you serve as a role model, especially when you know that that student may or may not have that role model at home either. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about the barriers of bringing on teachers of color, because really that's the problem, right? That is the the problem that we're dealing with right now is we don't have enough teachers of color. So what are the barriers that you think is preventing people, especially teachers of color, from wanting to go into this field? Uh, well, number one, I'll start with a hot topic, which is content and curriculum. Um, obviously, uh, the state of Texas has banned more books than any of the state um, in the U.S., um, and then there are certain guidelines and certain uh, rules and regulations that have prevented historical content from being taught to our students. And so we can't expect for teachers of color to want to enter the classroom when we've also asked them to put a muzzle over, over their, their mouths, over their voice, and, and uh-huh. not speak proudly from where they're from, um, not speak proudly for the way that they've been raised or the motivational factors that they've used in their ancestries past so that they can become successful so they can say you know what this work was not done in vain i will be this person i will Mm -hmm. get free i will seek out this career and i will be successful um and so that that's where it starts um but also in terms of isolation as we talked about i think it's imperative for teachers of color to be able to connect with each other from campus to campus Mm -hmm. uh, and from region to region from state to state and so it's important that our teachers are belonging to infinity groups, 
but more mm-hmm. so they have access to those affinity groups. You know, I'm not talking about going on Facebook and you know, <laughs> going into a group and you're like, okay, well, I'm in a group, but a group that that right. is meeting regularly, and, right, right, as meeting regularly and doing things and mm-hmm. uh, being able to talk about what's going on in their classrooms, discussing content and curriculum. Um, these things serve as uh, health check-ins, prevent uh teacher burnout and and also serve mm-hmm. as good boundaries in terms of accountability you know absolutely uh, and it's always nice to, to, to hear someone else's experiences so that you say okay you know what i might be alone on my campus in terms of the demographic i represent but in the grand spectrum of things i'm not alone you know right. there's a teacher next door in terms of on a different campus that are also uh, dealing with these same barriers and we can work together to, to figure out um, how to produce solutions for our students and for our staff um, so that we don't feel alone and so that more teachers of color can join the workforce. So um, we have to make it more more inclusive. Um, we have to give teachers um, access to, to things like lesson plans as well uh, to ease the burden of teaching um, so that they can just focus upon the job of teaching in itself. Um, when I was at the, 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 um, the hearing this past week, a superintendent said that he had hired individuals to do things like lunch duty, to do things like mm-hmm. uh, to do things like making copies, you know, and he made a good point. He said a surgeon doesn't prep the room. Right. Wow. He said a, a surgeon's job is to go in and to perform the task that is required on that given day. Mm-hmm. A surgeon sometimes doesn't even put on their own gloves. Right. They have someone else maybe put on their own gloves, but they can focus mm-hmm. on executing what they're supposed to do for that given task. Um, and so it's important that our teachers feel empowered in that same way, um, that they feel represented, and that there are ways from the school uh, to exhibit their voices, to exhibit uh, the things that they've gone through and to show, hey, if this person has made it throughout their trials and tribulations, then you as a young person that looks like them can make it as well. And so um, it's important for those connections to be formed. It's important for those opportunities of influence to be created. Um, it's important. It's imperative for them to have access to resources instead of creating their own um, all the time uh, for that to be more successful. Well, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. Um, so if you could leave our listeners with a final thought, what would that final thought be? And if you had one thing that you think would encompass everything that a a black educator would need, right? What would you give, what um, advice would you give to a superintendent or to a principal hiring? The one thing that you would say, this is how you retain teachers of color. What would you say? I would say it starts with campus culture Mm -hmm. because sometimes um, someone knows somebody that's already at the campus and before they interview, they're asking, hey, how's it like to work at, at your school? Right. right. And so they already have, you know, a firsthand, you know, reference about the classroom culture, uh, the campus culture in terms of what they're doing to best uh, influence and impact black male and, and black women educators. Um, and so it's important that that's already intact, um, that there's opportunities for advancement, for those opportunities for uh, them to be involved in the campus improvement plan mm-hmm. so that they feel like hey not only am i impacting what's going on at my school but also in the overall morale of the whole entire district and that's something that we've heard 
teachers alike uh, emphasized that they did not feel included um, in their school culture or their district's culture. Um, they did not feel included when trying to re recruit more teachers of color. I've spoken with the teacher uh, named Alita Williams, in which case she had the idea that um, all school districts should have their own JEDI force. And JEDI stands for uh, Justice for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And mm -hmm. that part of that part of that department would have different teachers of color serving different roles. So they would be involved in the curriculum that's being planned and taught for the students. And they would be involved in the hiring process during the interview um, to, to best inform those principals on the decisions that they're making in terms of the candidates that they're hiring. Um, and so all of these, all of these ranges of opportunity, in addition to a higher teacher pay, obviously, um, yes. <laughs> is, is important, is inclusive. But what I like that some very few schools are doing, though, is that they are recruiting teachers of color and giving them an incentive to work at their toughest schools. Mm -hmm. Right. And, hey, we're going to give you this incentive, this stipend to work at these eight schools that are struggling. Um, on paper, because we feel like you have the ability and the talents to best influence uh, the students at these schools. And so um, it, it takes a village. It does. But it takes people of power to use that power um, in the way that is impactful. You know, a lot of people That's have the power say it takes people <laughs> of power to use their power. Exactly. I like that. It's the power. <laughs> a lot but, of people have conversations about it, but it stops there. That's not a follow yeah. up, um, et cetera. Um, I, I'm not sure who 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 it was that mentioned that at the conference and whatnot. Uh, but they said um, diversity training should be an ongoing thing, not just a one time thing, um, not just a I intended a session for 30 minutes. Now I know about how to be diverse and inclusive for my class. <laughs> Doesn't work like that, right? Um, and, it, and that should be constant evaluation uh to be seeing hey are these goals being met and do our teachers feel valued and 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 uh appreciated on their campus and so um it's all it's all about morale it's all about morale how are those teachers how are those teachers feeling when they enter the classroom um on an everyday basis you heard it here um superintendents for mr powers thank you so much um for being on the show i really appreciate it um I really appreciate what you bring to the field of education as a black male educator. And so if you would like to, to book Patrick Powers, he's a public speaker and also the CEO of the Lost Generation. Where can they find you? Right. So um, you can go on. First off, you can always email me. <laughs> Let's start with that. You can email me at ppowers93 at gmail.com. Uh, um, I'm linked in on uh, Patrick Powers. And my Twitter is also uh, listed on my sites as well. So you want to connect that way. Um, I try to post a lot of educational feedback and content. Um, you can follow me there at underscore Patrick Powers as well on Twitter. So um, I'm always willing to be involved and, and to help out and to uh, talk, speak about different topics. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I'm glad that you, you had me on here uh, for today. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, I'll leave you with the teaching through the eyes of trauma takeaways. Number one, identify the need. Recognize the benefit of having teachers of color. Two, feel the need by listening to what educators of color say that they need. Three, support the teachers through professional development, mentoring, and resources. 
Four, honor their content, knowledge, and expertise. And of course, last but not least, heal first, educate always. Thank you so much for listening. If you need professional development for trauma-informed practices, please reach us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.